The following message is entitled, The Defining Proof of Real Faith, Part 5. This message was given during the evening service on January 8, 2023, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Sermon title tonight is The Defining Proof of Real Faith, Part 5. We continue to look at proven faith. Proven faith, not faith. This is extremely important. I said it over and over and over again last Sunday night, and I will do it again tonight to most likely your utter irritation. But we're looking at proven faith and its importance and its value. This is series number three, A Joyfully Suffering Salvation, verses six to nine. Follow along in the text of God's holy word. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. A reminder about this epistle. Go all the way to the end. Chapter 5 of 1 Peter, sometimes you have the theme for an epistle at the beginning, sometimes it's in the middle, and other times it's at the end. We have the clarifying theme of 1 Peter in chapter 5, verse 12. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, stand firm. So the overriding theme, as your grace picture on your note sheet shows, the overriding theme is standing firm in grace. Why do we need to stand firm? Because the entire epistle basically is a treatise on Christians who will suffer the more godly they are. Back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Standing firm implies there is a force attempting to tip us over. It's an interesting concept in that chapter 5. Standing firm is like this. If a force is being exhibited, you are being asked to resist it firm in the faith, standing firm. So it always implies, this Greek term, that there's something wanting to push us over spiritually. This implies quite dramatically that we're going to face various attacks on our faith, our practical faith in Jesus Christ that are attempting to tip us over. To tip over as a Christian would be synonymous with backsliding or rebellion. You've already seen, as your note sheet shows, at the top, Roman numeral 1, we're to be joyful despite trials. Verse 6, then, is the proof of verse 7. Verse 7 says, so that the proof of your faith. The proof is verse 6. The entire thing encompassed, that you are greatly rejoicing while suffering for the faith. That is the proof. Letter A underneath Roman numeral 2, where we're to have joyful suffering for Christ is proof of saving faith. Letter A is joy while suffering for Christ is the proof of saving faith, as I just mentioned. Um, this is a result clause. Verse 7 is a result directly of verse 6, which is a continuous statement in the Greek. Verse 6 is right into verse 7. You can consider it one complete thought. 
And um, the two highlights of verse 6, as I've mentioned, is great rejoicing while suffering. Roman numeral 1, to continue our review, joy while suffering for Christ is a major proof of one's salvation. The Greek reads in order, verse 7 is Greek, in order that the proving of you the faith, proving of you, the prove, you are proving yourself, not somebody else. It is of you the faith, not your faith. In the, it's not a contraction type or possessive type situation as in the English. Um, this is a very staccato, clear, boom, boom, boom. The proving, boom. Of you, boom. Of the faith. The proving is directed at us. We're proving to ourselves. Proving of you and me, obviously. Of the faith. This is saving faith. Proving, as we've already seen under point number one, letter A, you can remind yourself, dakimadzo, it's a testing of metal for strength and legitimacy. That's what proving means, a test for strength and legitimacy. So joy through suffering in verse 6 tests the reality of our spiritual strength and the reality of our legitimacy of our conversion. Those two things you can write down under number one. Joy while suffering is a test or judgment upon the strength of your salvation faith and the legitimacy of your conversion. Strength and legitimacy. And so we know that we have proven correctly in our true believers when we have joy in the midst of suffering. Number two, this is one of the major reasons we experience trials, to test the faith of you, to test the faith of you, to test your own faith. It is a natural inclination of our old natures to look at others and test their faith. The Bible summarily focuses testing upon ourselves. It's the same in 2 Corinthians 13, another great test passage where Paul confronts the carnal Christians to, to test themselves to see if they're in the faith. The godly Christian is always self-examining on the legitimacy of the strength, the legitimacy or the reality of the conversion, those two things as I just mentioned. And the godly Christian is more concerned about their own war with the flesh than with other individuals. We have to, especially as leaders and as Christians, admonish one another. That is true. This is definitely necessary. But at the end of the day, the first place priority is self-admonishment. This is self-admonishment in verse 7. You can write that under number 2. Peter, the apostle, in his authority under the Spirit of God, is telling us to self-admonish, to self-test. We are not to ignore this. To ignore this can be eternally damning. There are things we can ignore in life. You can let a hangnail go. You're not going to end up in hell. You cannot change that oil. My marquee out there, I abuse it. If you ever have looked inside of it, you'd say, oh my goodness, it's purposeful abuse. It's a love-hate relationship with that uh, marquee. The other night it got very mad at me when I left church and it decided not to close itself. So I had to hold my driver's side door all the way home because my car was mad at me. I just bang it and it would swing open, bang it and swing open. So um, it's an abuse issue. I haven't changed the oil. I don't change the oil more than once every year, year and a half. And the reason is, it only has, when I go to change the oil, it only has like 500 miles on it between one year oil changes. So, anyways, it's an abuse and abuse issue. That's just what it is. And uh, so uh, we're supposed to be admonishing, and in a sense, abusing ourselves. We're to 
very legitimately not ignore our problems like I ignore the things with the marquee. Some things I can't ignore. You'd be amazed at how long I went with a broken uh, windshield wiper blade on there. Uh, just ignoring it. And finally, it was scratching the glass. I thought, oh, okay, I'll take care of you. Don't worry. You're tired of getting scratched. Personify this monster I'm driving. And uh, uh, that's fine with a marquee. You know, you can kick it and you see a whole chunk of metal fall to the ground. And, and uh, the tires are ruined and ready to blow out and all such a sundry problems. But don't do that with yourself. Again, the admonishment here is the carnal believer tends to first focus on others. The godly believer first focuses on oneself. You are to be in a mode of self-admonishment. Self-admonishment. It's kind of like how I take care of our CRV. It's a newer vehicle, and so if anything flashes on the dashboard, oh, oh, got to take care of that. One time we were driving up to Wisconsin and the tire, low tire thing came on. So I pulled over. I pulled over at a rest stop. Got out my, it's like a western fast drawer. Got out my trusty tire gauge and while the, well, Sue, I think it was just Sue and I, maybe another kid was in it. Went around the whole CRV and checked all the tires. Of course, if I'd been in the marquee, <laughs> red lights flashing. Look at that, the skull and crossbones. <laughs> Skull and crossbones flashing on my, who cares? We don't want to do that with yourself. Carnal believers do that. Ah, oh, who cares? So, you know what? It's all grace. It's all freedom in Christ. I live in grace. Don't care if I get a spiritual tire flat. Mm -mm. This is self admonishment. This is a major proof of saving faith. You're to analyze, and I'm to analyze for joy while suffering for Christ. Either aspect of those Siamese twins that are bonded together as the proof. Two items, one proof, two items, one proof. Great joy, suffering for Christ. Either one of those Siamese twins missing, I'm in big trouble. It's the only proof mentioned here. In fact, it's the only proof mentioned in the epistle other than some things that are kind of sub-proofs like we looked at last week. Uh, I think it was chapter 14. Uh, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the form of lust which were yours in your ignorance. In all your behavior, be holy. So there are other aspects of proving. Certainly verse 14 is another one. We're, we're to be obedient and watch the issue with our lusts. We should track both of those things. Don't be conformed to your lusts. It doesn't say stop lusting. It says don't be conformed to the former lusts. What that means is an incredible idea of a schematic where you're actually forming your life around lust as a believer. That's extremely dangerous. So you have a positive and negative. These are proofs in verse 14, but whoa, this is the singular proof in verse 7. This is faith, not faithfulness. Under number 2 review, under letter A, just to remind you, this is not being faithful to the ministry or faithful to service. It does not say faithfulness. This is the faith. It is in the Greek again, literally, proving of you of the faith. The faith is a term that Peter uses especially to refer to conversion. This is a test of conversion. We don't want to abuse and neglect this. We don't want to ignore this. This is the great problem of rebellious believers and certainly the hopeless problem of apostates. They do not test themselves. 
And this is unique to Christianity. Last Sunday night, we started to look at the nature of proven faith. Number one under letter B, proven faith is more precious than perishing gold. Proven faith is more precious than perishing gold. Being more precious than the gold which is perishable. That's the next phrase in chapter 1, verse 7. Being more precious than gold which is perishable. This, uh, this, this is a roadblock to our self-examination, okay? This is a major, major roadblock to assessing ourselves. Um, what Peter, right up front under number one, is saying is proven faith is more valuable than gold. Write that down under letter B, number one. Proven faith is more valuable than gold. This is one now we don't want to, anyone in the room, okay, we don't want to say out loud, amen, I am publicly testifying that proving my faith is more valuable than all the gold of this planet, amen? Don't say amen. Don't publicly testify now. Warning lights. Giant roadblock sitting in front of us. G-O-L-D. You can peek around it, but you can't get by it. This is the idol. Peter's not wasting any time cutting to what is most valuable in the world. Why did he choose gold? We're going to see that in a moment. He slams all believers of all time, the Spirit of God does, looking down from heaven, writing this precious verse, and the Spirit is looking at our hearts and how valuable money is to us. We think a lot about money. We long for more money. Christians will make the decision on whether to keep a job or not based on money solely. That is highly suspect because Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. I guess his job was out of the Father's will, right? He was so impoverished. So, this is a roadblock. This is a snare. Under number one, you need to write that. We now come upon the snare, the trap that shuts self-examination down. The trap that shuts down self-examination. What is the self-examination? Proven faith. Okay, so let's rein up this pony with the wonderfully brand new leather saddle on it and gold button trimmings. And let's stop ourselves for a moment and let's reassess since we can't get past this huge monumental uh, piece of stone blocking the whole road on testing ourselves here with the word gold written on it. Let's just rein up the horse and stop right here in front of this massive chunk of gold and self-examine. Okay, so I need to use and abuse myself through self-examination, brutally self-examine, and I'm looking for joy in the midst of suffering, and that is the major proof that I'm saved. Okay, that one I can buy. 
Now you're telling me, Peter, that that proving of yourself and self-examination that proves your faith is far more valuable than gold. You understand why gold comes up into the picture here when we've been talking about joy and suffering. (laughs) What is the Spirit of God saying to us? You all, as believers, love money. You think about it. Who doesn't want more? We never fantasize about downgrading from a 2023 Denali SUV to a 2002 Chevy Citation. It's always moving forward, moving up, moving better, more in the bank, more in my wallet, more credit cards. Higher limit. Boy, you get that statement in the Discover card, and it tells you that your limit has increased to this. Oh, wow! Yeah! That's what I'm talking about. In the Discover card invoice, it has a line like this that tells you your credit rating. And you want to see that going up, not... Gold, 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 gold. This morning we were talking about, we as a literary device, meaning I was talking about, the fact that we don't want to cite to others that we believe in inerrancy while we rarely do the four things that are necessary to grow under the inerrant word, read, study, understand, and apply. We can't self-examine if we love gold more than assurance of salvation. We can't properly self-examine. This is extremely important. If you haven't written it down, you need to write it down. You can't accurately self-examine if you love gold more than the assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation is proven faith. When you test it and you see that it's there, you have assurance. Proven faith and assurance of salvation are synonymous terms. So what Peter is telling us is your value system has to change here or you will never be able to accurately self-examine. This is where money wrecks everything. We start to assess God's will based on money. We start to assess God's will based on affluence. We start to assume that I'm a believer based on gold. Am I missing the boat here, or is gold not the test of faith? I don't think it is in verse 7. I don't think gold is the test of faith. Lord God, if you want me to stay in my job, give me a raise. I got a raise. Thank you, Jesus. I know I'm in your will. Oh, so gold was the test of faith, was it? He would never want a believer to get a demotion. Forward and up. Forward and up. Doors can open for us that are based on gold. Doors for living. Doors for property. Doors for purchase. 
And we can skew verse 7 totally into the idea that I have assurance when I have more. No. Do you see gold as the test of your faith in verse 7? And gold isn't just gold, okay? We're telling us, oh, so I can have silver, since he doesn't mention silver. Gold is generic for material wealth. Are we clear on that? Christ used the word mammon, okay? You can't love God and mammon at the same time. You can't prove your faith while you're really hung up with finances and money, okay? When that's your value system, is, and when you test yourself by financial affluence, you can't possibly assess yourself spiritually because he gives a value system here. And the value system is very simple. Proven faith, look at it in verse 7, is more precious than gold. He's not saying, do you believe that? He is not saying in verse 7 that proven faith should be more precious than gold. What does he say? The proof of your faith being more precious than gold. He's stating reality. He's saying it is. So God is screaming down from heaven through the scriptures and saying, Hello, American Christians. Proven faith is more valuable and more precious than gold. I'm telling you that is God. Peter is saying it is absolutely more precious than gold. And what are we saying? Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. Uh, uh, no. Now do you see why it's a roadblock? We're snared by the gold issue. This is a direct confrontation in what we love from this world. Who wouldn't want a bigger swimming pool? Me. <laughs> Who wouldn't want more money? What of us as men, after we've handed all the money over to the better half, look in our wallets and feel sad that it's empty? Who of us don't get sad when that flash sale I delayed just a little too long on Amazon and lost that 70% off on that hair-growing machine? Mm -hmm. It is a harrowing experience. Getting lost in the illustration we are. Now I have to remind you again under number one letter B that this is proven faith, not faith. This is not profession, it is proven faith that is more valuable. So you say, well I live in constant doubt of my salvation every day of my life, John, but at the end of the day I'm thankful that I received Christ. So is that what he's saying, that I have faith in Christ even though I doubt? No, 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 no. How many times did I say no, 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 no last time? Quite a few last Sunday night. Kind of got into that. No, 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 no. Proven faith is more valuable than gold. And that's why I said to you last Sunday night, you don't assess other believers by the old profession of faith. Remember that from last Sunday night? I'm saved because I made a profession. I know so-and-so is saved because I made a profession. no. The accurate statement should be, I'm saved because my profession of faith is proven to be legitimate. 
And so and so has made a profession of faith, but it has to be proven that that person is truly converted. And the proving is joy in the midst of suffering. Joy in the midst of suffering is the proving. Once you've proven it by self-examination, self-admonishment, self-acknowledging of our limitations in sin, <coughs> then we move on. There has to be the self-examination. So the reality, the important thing, is proven faith. Now he's given a qualitative difference between gold with it. Now he's placing a value system on this. And that is more precious. Letter A under point one of letter B. More precious. More precious in the Greek. Write it down. Great price. Extremely costly. Extremely valuable over time. Extremely valuable. It's priceless. Priceless is a good word. More precious means priceless. More priceless, more precious than gold. Priceless. Palutimas. More valuable than gold. If you ever, uh, don't say it out loud, lay in bed at night, lights off, staring at the ceiling, two pillows under your knees, because we're old people, and uh, you're looking at the ceiling, and fears tend to arise in the ceiling, across the ceiling as you're looking in the darkness of night. This is the way it is for all of us. And our can't sleep, and we're looking, and we're starting to furrow our brow. And we're worried about assurance of salvation. No, tend to not do that. Do believers worry about whether they'll be able to pay their bills? Yeah. Will they get more money? Praying about money, yeah. What we should be extremely concerned about and praying for is more assurance. Assurance is of absolute priceless value. And Peter lands it next to gold, the most valuable thing to any person on the planet in Peter's day is gold. Letter B, why proven faith is more valuable than gold. Gold perishes, but proven faith does not. Gold perishes, but proven faith does not. It says there that gold is perishable. Okay, it says right there in the text, gold is perishable. It's more precious than gold, which is perishable. The implication is that proven faith does not perish. So gold perishes, but proven faith does not. A carnal Christian would say, eh, so. You still don't see the value. This is extremely valuable because... We can't lose our salvation. Okay? You can't lose the faith. You can lose proven faith. Oh, yes. And proven faith is the value commodity here in verse 7. Remember, proven faith is I'm testing myself for legitimacy. I can lose the test. I can flunk the test. I can look for joy in the midst of suffering for Christ, and I don't see suffering for Christ or I don't see joy. I've lost that proof. And when I lose that proof, I lose assurance. Assurance is so extremely valuable to the Christian life. In this life as well as eternity. It's the only way to know that when you die, you're going to heaven. The only way to know that you're going to die and go to heaven is assurance. Security is our position. When we die, if we're truly saved, regardless of assurance, we're going to heaven. Assurance is how I know that I'm going to heaven. Do you see the difference? 
Security is the reality that only God can give. He secures us once we're truly converted. We can't change security. Either we're secure in Christ or we're not. Either we're saved or we're not. What fluctuates is this issue of assurance. Proven faith. Faith, true faith or not, is God's doing. I can't save myself. But my behavior and my values and my assessment of my Christian life, they determine the fluctuating commodity of assurance. And I can lose proven faith, I can't lose real faith. I can have real faith and still lose proven faith. This is why it's so valuable. We need to hang on to this because when we lose proven faith, we're cut loose. We really don't know whether we're saved or not. There is no way that you can know whether you're saved if you lose this proven faith. And what is a proven faith again? What is the test? Joy with suffering for Christ. Letter C. Joy in the midst of trials then is not just the mark of the godly, mature faith only, but all true faith. This is extremely important. It doesn't say that proven godly faith, it is not the proving of your godly mature faith, it is the proving of the faith. This goes with all true faith. That's the first blank, letter C. It is all true faith, whether newly saved, as letter C continues, saved for years or backslidden, all believers to some degree are going to have joy in the midst of trials. It is impossible to have no joy in the midst of trials and consider oneself a believer. So again, joy in the midst of trials then is not just the mark of the godly mature faith only, but all true faith, whether newly saved, saved for years, or backslidden, whether saved for years, whether newly saved, saved for years, or backslidden. All believers are going to have joy in the midst of trials. Let me ask you a question. If the fruit of the Spirit is a major character test for true conversion in Galatians 5, is it possible for a true believer to never have any fruit? No. Is it possible, though, that we can fluctuate through those nine? Some days more loving, less self-control. Some days impatient, but yet also kind to somebody else. Is it possible that they can fluctuate? Yes. But a totality of absence is a death knell to the issue that I'm a convert. Okay? Here. Proof is joy in the midst of suffering for Christ. That being absent doesn't say I'm backslidden. It says I'm not saved. Not in any moment in time, but as the progression of one's life as I look over my conversion. We have to brutally self-examine. You have to look at the dashboard, look for the warning lights. As the car pulls to the left, even though it's a junk car, if it's pulling to the left, you may have a flat tire on the right. You need to examine the wreckage, the sin battles. We have to see this as so extremely valuable that at night in the darkness, we're screaming for maturity of assurance of faith, not gold. This is a realignment that only the Spirit of God can give us as believers who submit to eternal realities. But this is not a mark of godliness. This is a mark of true conversion. He's not dealing with godliness in verse 7. He's dealing with true conversion. If you never have joy in trials, you've lost the proof. You're not legitimate. We have no assurance of salvation. And when you lose assurance, it's worse than being completely broke. This is a terrible thing. It is terrible to lose assurance. It is not a good thing. 
Again, joining the midst of trials does not save a person. It shows that we're saved. It's a proof, 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 proof. Letter D. Is proven faith really better than gold? No one would have the gall. My dad used to love that word. It's an old Scottish term. You've got a lot of gall, John. And you've got a lot of courage to say something bad. <laughs> That's what gall is. You've got the courage to just say it, John. Okay. We don't have the gall to come out verbally anywhere in this room and ever say, gold is better than assurance. <clears throat> we don't have the gall to do that. We'd all go, oh, oh, look at that, Christian. Did you hear what he just said? Gold is better than assurance of salvation. <gasps> Again, it's our behavior. What did uh, Francis Schaeffer, these are two sermons that are really linked. You say, how on earth can you link inerrancy? Morning sermon, the suffering for Christ evening sermon. Well, here it is. My belief that the Bible is the word of God infallible and inerrant doesn't mean anything if there's no obedience and practice of it, right? And I can say all I want that I really want assurance that I'm saved and going to heaven, but if I'm fixated on the things of this world, the material things of this world, then my hunger for assurance is bogus. I, I really do think that most of us, maybe all of us here, do have more times than we're willing to let on when we really would testify that gold is better than assurance based on our practice. It is. If you ever prayed that you wanted something that the door would open up for you to buy it, then gold is better for you. It is. You're judging a morality of God's will based on money. If you ever prayed that I need more money not because I'm broke and can't pay my bills and I'm being a good steward, but I just, I, I need more money for, for things, Lord. So if it's your will, open up this job with more money so I can have these things. He opened it. I got it. I got it. This is God's will. If that is anywhere in our thinking, we are gold addicted. You don't know God's will for your life. Look at the church system. Do, are Christians in mass moving to bad areas because it's God's will, or do they only move to good areas? Do Christians downside to a rotten car rather than upside to a good one, a nicer one? It doesn't mean that these things are bad. It doesn't mean literally divorce from context, living in a nice area is bad. It's just the pattern of our behavior. The pattern of our behavior is towards comfort, less crime, more enjoying things, more wonderful things, and then when we look at the issues of spirituality, we wonder why we're in such a wreck. So, no, it is not sinful to get a raise, but if that's what I think God's will is all the time, then I don't know how to judge God's will for my life. I don't. You can't possibly assess this God's will for your life to take a job that gives you more money. How would you ever know that? Why would God always do that? Right? I mean, do, are we at least willing to agree with that? Or not? Sounds like look, some of the looks on your faces are like, uh uh, don't you tell me that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just thought gold was not the basis or the standard by which we judge God's will. Remember the guy with the, the parable with the uh, barns that he built? 
bigger and bigger for the grain? Your average American Christian would say, well, there's an obvious proof. God provided the wood and the workers, and there were no injuries during the building of the bigger barns for the grain, so obviously God blessed, gave him more grain. This was God's will. Who says he died without Christ and went into eternal perdition? Hey, if money was, you know, increased wealth was a major evidence that we're in God's will, this country would be the most rich, godly nation on earth. But as material wealth increases, we see slam, the slamming of morality right into the gutter. Gold is a dangerous commodity then, isn't it? Tempts us greatly. Okay, so, is proven faith really better than gold? Well, let's understand something under letter D here of why gold is mentioned here, first of all. In Greco-Roman society of Peter's day, one gold coin bought you three months of paying your bill and no starvation. One coin. Just one gold coin. Gets you three months, on average, in that economy, paying all your bills for three months and not starving to death. And that was the name of the game in ancient times. Paying off your creditors. Remember how Christ talked so much about loans and credits and ending up in jail because you can't pay your bills? Paying off your creditors and eating sufficiently so your body's not cannibalizing yourself. All you need is one coin. Write that under letter D. One gold coin gives three months of comfort. Gold is precious. Write that down under letter D. Gold is very precious. The Bible is saying here, gold is precious. Where in verse 7 does Peter say that gold is precious? Where am I getting that in verse 7? Implication of what? More precious. So if something is more precious, right? It's comparative, exactly. So if I said to Sue, honey, you're more precious than I am. I've just complimented myself. I'm precious. She's just more precious, right? Get it? See that in verse 7? More precious than gold. God is not a dullard. He knows we do need bills paid. We need food on the table. We have commodities we must purchase. This is understandable. God is not expecting us to go to the poor farm. Oh, so what you're saying tonight is, I should just have nothing and then I'll be godly. There's no godly or ungodly attached to gold here. We're talking a value system between assurance of salvation and gold. Not trying to create when is a gold amount godless and when is a gold amount ungodly or, or godly. There's no moral value put to money in the Bible. It is when money and gold and affluence shipwrecks my spiritual priorities that I'm in trouble. There is no value system to, to gold. I'm not to feel guilty if I have more than others. I'm not to feel more righteous if I have less than others. That's communism. I'm more socialistically righteous as a human if I am taking from the rich and giving it to the poor. Robin Hood was a good man. No. The Bible doesn't teach the redistribution of wealth because if you're rich, you are wicked, and if you're poor, you're righteous. 
That's woke theology, by the way. W-O-K-E. It's called a theology because it is a moral way to get to heaven. Woke theology basically is this. It is a racist theology that says if you are wealthy and you are a white middle-ager in this country, you are wicked and you're a racist. You are born that way. You are generationally a racist. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you live. You can't get out from under your racism and you need to wake up woke theology. And the way you wake up is simply this. If you want to as a racist white Male especially. There's nothing you can do about your genetic makeup of being a racist. The only thing you can do is give a black person money. Reparations. And you need to continuously redeem yourself from hell by paying off black people for all that your wicked ancestors and your genetic predisposition towards racism has caused to our nation. It all comes back to money, baby. Gold is everywhere, even in woke theology. It is the way you earn heaven is by you giving me money. How twisted is that? And as we learned this morning, there are dozens of evangelical ministers out there right now preaching that message in their Bible-believing churches. Mm-hmm. Gold doesn't save. Gold doesn't send you to hell. It's not rich versus poor. We're so messed up by materialism, we can't sort this out. I feel guilty if I got a raise. No. Why would you feel guilty if you got a raise? That's not what this is about. There is no moral value to gold. It's when you value your raise more than assurance. Are we getting that? Is this clear as a bell? Ding, ding, ding. We're talking about value system. You judge God's will in verse 7 by whether you have assurance or not, not by your income, affluence, or lack thereof. All of that is precious. This is more precious. Gold can't get you to heaven. Sorry, woke theologians. Assurance of salvation proves that you're going to heaven. If something can show me I'm going to heaven, that is far more important than the wealth and comfort I get from gold. This is why proven faith is more valuable than gold. This is why. Because proven faith has an eternal commodity to it that is extremely important. The name of the game for us as Christians is we really can't tell if our profession was real until we prove it. This is letter D. We really can't tell if our faith is genuine until we prove it. We can make a correct profession. We can't tell if it's genuine until we prove it. Gold does nothing, as valuable and precious as it is, it does nothing for convincing me and proving to me that I'm going to heaven. That's why using gold as a standard by which you judge God's will for your life is potentially eternally damning. If you pray prayers that are always surrounding money and that and, or, or things, and God, give this to me, and then I know you're there. You provide this, and I know you're working. This can convince you that you're a believer when you're not. 
We don't find God's will through the profession to God of prayers concerning finances. God can easily allow an unbeliever to get a raise, live in a nice place, or get a car. Circumstances can strangely be altered for unbelievers. Well, they will say, God opened this door for me when they're living like pagans and don't even believe in Jesus Christ. Life is full of incredibly particular and odd coincidences for unbelievers. You've seen it. They'll testify to you. Oh, oh, God did this for me. And you say, that's bogus. That's bogus because they're living like pagans. They don't even believe in Jesus Christ. But they have this mystical view that because this door opened up financially, this circumstance was changed for my betterment and my comfort, then I know that this is from God. And when we enter into that realm, we are damning ourselves potentially because we are now assessing our spirituality based on a a very temporary and godless standard by which to judge whether God's working in our lives or not. Gold. It is the elephant in the Christian's spiritual room. You have to completely dump. And this, of course, then means I've got to change all my decision-making and prayers. Everything has to be prayed differently. I've got to alter everything. I can't sit before God and pray anything concerning gold or money and assume by that itself, if it gets answered, that that actually was an answer from God. And that this confirms that I'm a believer. I can't do any of that. Gold is not an assurance of salvation proven commodity. And this sounds almost like Marxism being preached from a Christian pulpit today. I mean, this, this basically is revolutionary nonsense, what I'm saying right here. Your average pastor changes churches. For bigger size and more money. What's that? (laughs) That's gold. You don't have a host of pastors in Bible-believing churches that are contacting me every week on the phone and saying, I believe it's God's will for me to go to impoverished, small, 10, maybe 20 at the most believers, and a below-minimum-standard-wage living, and I believe God's calling me. Could you please leave your job there at Eastside Bible Church because I want it? Esophageal reflux right there. What are the pastors doing? Going to nicer areas, getting bigger pastorates, more money, right? Mm. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's wrong to go to a bigger church with more money as a pastor. No, no. Let's say you all, after the sermon, had a quick membership meeting and voted me out. Then I turn to Sue and say, well, we'll just have to kite our resumes everywhere. And lo and behold, one falls on a Bible-believing church in some Hoboken, Kentucky. And we candidate there and find that they're going to give me a double amount of money there. And there's 300 people there. Would I take from the sermon that I'm not to take it? No. Because I'm to go where God circumstantially directs me, and it's not based on money, it's based on open doors that he directs. And it could be a poor church or a richer church. That's true with you. Well, what do I do? Should I pray for another job? Hey, listen. The criteria for leaving your work or me leaving my work are very narrow. Very narrow indeed. I can only think of two. One is... The job you're currently in is asking you to do something that comp- compromises the word of God. Can't do that. 
Number two, you are so impoverished for your job, legitimately, you can't even make basic needs. Not gratuitous desires, but basic needs. Can't pay my rent, not because I'm blowing it on Netflix. I can't pay my rent, not because I'm buying cases of Coke Zero, which probably wouldn't be bad anyways, but it's because I have tried desperately in prayer to pay everything, and I don't have money. I need you to get me a job so I can properly pay my creditors. That's very rare. Nine times out of ten, when Christians talk about they don't have enough money, it's because they're blowing it on stuff. Or they're living a standard of living they should not be living. So, it's not about gold. Gold isn't right or wrong. Gold isn't good or bad. More isn't good, less bad. It is none of that. It's just a value system. It's there. It's valuable. Yes, it is. We have to pay our creditors, and we need to not starve. And God, according to 1 Timothy 6, I just need you to take care of all the things that we need, food and covering. But my priority, God, as a growing believer, is I need to assess my faith. This is the priority. This is where I need to focus. This is more precious. Because when I go to my grave, my coffin may be gold-lined, but I could end up in hell. And I need to know now whether I am truly born again, because I never know when death's going to come marching. That makes assurance the only game in town. The only game in town. Money comes and gold goes. Gold comes and goes. Assurance, I need that to stay. Letter E next time on the back side. Proven faith is going to do two things for you and I that are more valuable than gold. And we're going to find out exactly what two things proven faith does for you. And you might as well blowtorch a lump of gold over here and just burn it down to nothing because that gold lump over here isn't going to do these two things for you and I. Mm -mm. Only more precious proven faith is going to do this. And I need these two things. Because in my constant daily war with sin, it tasks me when I see little victory. I struggle with proven faith. And gold isn't going to help me with this. So the elephant in the room is materialism. You're not going to, and I'm not going to get past that phrase in verse 7. You're going to stop right there and never progress in this epistle as long as your value system in mind places gold above proven faith. One last issue before we get out of here to go buy stuff and go home and eat stuff and go home and use our Netflix. Um, one last thing. How would I know whether gold is more valuable to me than assurance of salvation. Very simple. Two things. Number one, what do you think and pray about? You pray about money all the time. If you're not concerned about assurance of faith, you already have your answer. That's one thing. What do you pray about? Number two, which determines God's will for your life when you're praying? Are you praying God's will concerning money issues, things issues, or are you praying concerning spiritual assurance issues? So it is, are you, number one, Thinking and praying always about material things, not spiritual things. And number two, are you actually analyzing God's will for your life based on finances, open and door, closed issues concerning money alone, or about spiritual commodities?
Okay. Thank you, Father. We leave now with much to think about. In the power of the Spirit, help us to get around this roadblock by renouncing the idol of gold if it's there in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.